Hello, everyone. Welcome to day 22 of the 7 a.m. Novelist 50-day writing challenge, first draft edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Uh, we're starting this week talking about what you might need to consider to make your early pages work. And today we're talking specifically about the idea of unstable ground situation with Rosie Sultan and Steve Bieber. Um, and um, I also want to dedicate this uh, episode to the Rode Microphone Company. Um, because the Rode Mini is a fantastic microphone that cuts in and out all the time. And I'm having a whole lot of fun with that and I'm waiting for them to help me with that. So here's to the Rode company. Um, okay, Rosie Sultan's novel, Helen Keller in Love, was praised by the Washington Post book list and the Library Journal and was an American Library Association book club pick. Rosie won the Penn Discovery Award for Fiction and a Virginia Center of the Creative Arts Fellowship. Her marvelous agent, and that's in her words, but I'm sure her agent is marvelous, is shopping around her children's book, What Color Is Think? Her new novel, The Best Way to Disappear, is nearing completion. Rosie has taught writing to first-generation students, story-curious adults, and everyone in between at Suffolk University, Boston University, and Grub Street, as well as at the Muse and Marketplace Conference. She's a manuscript consultant, helps novelists get their stories into the world. As a literary activist, Rosie raises awareness and money for racial and reproductive rights with Writers For a stellar group of women writers who use their voices to make our world a better place for all. And I have been a lucky um, member of that group off and on, and they do great work. Okay, Stephen Lee Bieber, I call him Beeb, sorry, Steve, but I will call you officially Steve, uh, during this is the author of Heebie-Jeebies at CBGB's, A Secret History of Jewish Punk. Um, and he's also the editor of Awake, A Reader for the Sleepless and the associate editor of the literary journal Conduit. His work has appeared in the Paris Review, Harper's, the New York Times and elsewhere. He teaches creative writing and creative nonfiction at Framingham State and Grub Street and was the recipient of Somerville Arts Council Mass Cultural Council grants in 2019 and 2022. A documentary based on his book about the Holocaust or origins of punk has been optioned and by determination pictures. All right. Thank you so much, both of you, for being here bright and early in the morning. Um, unstable ground situation. Okay. So we've, we've already actually talked in the practice room about how we're all feeling unstable this morning, which is perfect. This is exactly where we want to be. So what is unstable ground situation um, when we are talking about writing? Uh, why do we need to think about it in terms of our early pages, both like first uh, generating the early pages and then revising them um, of a novel or short story or, or memoir or whatever writing project you're working on. And I'm going to go to Rosie first. Rosie, what for, what to you is an unstable ground situation? Well, uh, thanks for having me, Michelle. Can you hear me all right? Yes. Okay. So I, as I was sharing with you and Steve, I'm in an unstable ground situation right now because I'm in this beautiful hotel in New York with the worst internet on the planet. So unstable ground situation unstable, right there. Yeah, yeah. So unstable ground situation, I, I think of it as, and I think we all do, sort of what happens to the characters before the story starts? What's their emotional state? What's been happening with them that sort of primes them for whatever's going to happen next in the story? And um, I think of it as sort of their emotional state that sets up the action. Here's an example. Yesterday, I was at the Hopper exhibit. Me? 
And we all know Hopper, everyone sort of has their backs turned toward one another in the paintings. You can identify it a mile away. Here's a quote from the exhibit. The Oh, just when she's about to say something brilliant, her Wi-Fi cuts out. Um, but I do think, so kind of the idea that she's talking about, um, it's, it's very character oriented. And basically I generally think of the unstable ground situation as you're starting out with a character who's either broken or in a broken situation. Um, and I think a lot of that is necessary. First of all, we don't really like characters whose lives are perfect. Um, and then it also adds tension because we expect something to happen. We expect um, uh, some forward momentum out of that. Um, okay, Steve, for you, what is the unstable ground situation? Well, I think Rosie was was doing a great job of talking about it. I guess <laughs> I would just add, um, you know, I always think of it as what is the sort of conflict under the surface? What's the issue that's already there for the person, uh, their baggage that they carry and kind of are getting along, you know, it's it's unstable, but it's stable enough that they're functioning, their day-to-day -day lives are, you know, like a functioning alcoholic, right? They haven't hit bottom yet. But then uh, inciting incidents, which you're doing tomorrow, pushes that to the surface, they have to confront it, and then bammo, you got your, your main body of your book, confrontation, you know, obstacles in facing that. So yeah, unstable ground, like she said, everything, pretty much that predates the the narrative of the story, or, or at least the story starts right at the last moment of unstable ground a lot of times before things kick in. Um, one of the images I've heard is that, you know, it's like someone standing on the middle of a seesaw, kind of balancing this way and that, and tipping a little, tipping a little, but not falling off. And then once the they fall off, the story begins and they got to get balanced again. So yeah, I, I get that feeling. I mean, I'm, I'm in a permanent unstable ground situation. I keep waiting to, to reach a crisis and just, you know, resolve and, and move on to the complexified equilibrium of, of more unstable ground, which is, what's, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's so crazy. You just move, it's like in Storyville, you move from unstable ground to unstable ground, unstable ground, which I guess is life. You're never, you know, I'm not yes. the happily ever after, yes. I'm not the fairy tale, but you can't, you can't get to that. So. And we'll talk about that with endings because your character does not solve all the problems. Your character basically reaches a new unstable ground by the ending, but it's change. Right. Um, right. But the but the thing I and I and I love that um, image. You know, you've got you've got a person who is just you know, they're keeping balance. Like, who wants to be standing though on a seesaw? Like, that's that's right. not an, a comfortable situation. However, they've been standing on that seesaw, keeping that careful balance, possibly for years. Right. Um, and so uh, that's why. Um, and it could be set up by. Um, I we'll talk later about. Um, I call it the, the wound, um, something that happened to them when they were younger or, or some pivotal moment in their lives that upset their lives that created right. that instability um, and that they have to, um, usually the book is going to force them to revisit it. Um, Josh Wilde talks about plot. He says, I find my character's wound and I poke a stick at it. And that for him is plot, which I love. Right. Um, yeah, and then, good. or it could be the inciting incident because lots of times the inciting incident occurs before the opening of the story or novel. Um, I always think about like in Hamlet, the king is already dead. 
right? Right. right. So the, you, it's, it, the world is funny. unstable. That's funny, Michelle, because sometimes I use Hamlet uh, as an example of the difference between inciting incident and point of attack. Yes. And, and I hear what you're saying, and I think that actually could be true too, but I sort of think of the appearance of the ghost as the inciting incident, saying, you know, like, oh, I was murdered. And then the point of attack being, now you have to avenge me. So it's like, you know, it throws Hamlet completely off balance, like something's rotten in Denmark, right? And it's really, right. really rotten. It's more, it's worse than he thought. Not just his mom's married right away to it, to her, his uncle. Right, right. But, you know, but now like the ghost says, you got to go kill people for me. And anyway, that's so, yeah, I, you know, whole uh, unstable ground. I was thinking about other stories too, like, what is it? Sherman Alexi's story, What what You Pawn, I Will Redeem. Mm -hmm. like the whole opening to that is basically giving us his unstable ground. He's an alcoholic. He's like other quote unquote Indians, as he calls them out West yeah. that, you know, they've they've lost their home. Are you frozen, Michelle? I think you're frozen. Okay. Um, that, that, that he is, you know, like he says, he is the after Columbus Indian. He is a mess you know he's fading away he he's lost all his relationships with former wives and and children and inciting incident here it comes he finds this regalia from his grandmother and he's on his quest to get it and that's the rest of the story or i was also thinking too when you said wound one of my favorites because it's so on the nose like but it works is uh, what is it? Uh, the Catcher in the Rye. Halton Caulfield, yes. I think, chapter five, is writing the essay for his roommate, Stradladder. And he ends up writing about his brother, Allie, who died from cancer. And he, you know, how uh, Halton, the night of his death, punched out all the windows in the car, in the garage, and his hand is still wounded he still can't make a fist so he he has a literal wound and he's writing about his brother's baseball mitt which you wear on your hand you know to protect your hand and it, i i just i kind of love that salinger did that you know it's like i'm all right i'm going to create a wound that's a wound you know not a, it's an emotional yeah. wound but it's just gonna really be something very concrete and solid and there you go he's he's hurt his hand and uh, so I left. I'm going off into other things. That's not an unstable ground. I guess it is unstable ground, though, right? Because Halden has been upset ever since. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the point is, is that there is some brokenness, right, in the person's yes. life. Um, yes. And it's usually, um, it's a brokenness that they carry with them, that they're stuck in, um, that, that still shapes their personality and forces them to continue to make mistakes. Right. Um, it's very, it is possible. So I generally think that in a story then this brokenness that the plot of the story you're choosing a particular character for a reason um and you're 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 choosing that character to put them in that situation because that's the they need to face mm -hmm. in order to face their brokenness in order to face their wound um and to the person won't recover entirely but but to to, to learn something to, to to move forward in their life a little bit um, 
one thing to think about is if you're working with um, more marginalized characters who whose society always says you're culpable or you're wrong or you're broken. Um, some of those some of those writers writing about those sorts of characters might not want their character to be culpable or broken. And so instead, you can have a flat uh, plot line in which it's the world that's broken mm-hmm. and the character is actually together. But something needs to be broken because otherwise we, we're waiting for something to be fixed. Um, and so it's more likely that the character is broken. They have to face something. Something will be thrown their way um, that forces them to move forward because otherwise they're going to cling to that seesaw, right? Because we do. Absolutely. We cling to our Absolutely. seesaws. Yeah. What is, what is that Alice Walker story, um, Everyday Use? And the mother has the two daughters, you know, one who's literally wounded. She's been in a fire when the house burned down. And the other who's beautiful and watched coolly and detached while the house burned down because she hated where she came from so much. And you're right. The mother is not really wounded in any particular way other than she, uh, as so many uh, of uh, African-Americans like her, is a victim of racism. And when her daughter comes home, she has to confront, the mother has to confront her own allegiance. Like, where does she belong? With the old cult, with her culture, or with this desire to join more the mainstream culture and, and look. So I guess in a sense, you could say she's wounded and that she feel, she's internalized the effects of racism to some degree because she's got that conflict. Mm-hmm. But for them but it's not it, it it's a wound that is primarily outside of her you're right i mean she's not she seemed she's really kind of deciding for her daughters like which the, she's sticking up for the other daughter so is yeah, it really yeah. her her conflict um i guess you could right. think of it as a peripheral narrator in a sense yeah, so I also think about um, Jasmine Ward's Salvage the Bones. Um, the main character is already pregnant by the time the first pages start, and the mother has already died. Um, and uh, and so basically you need the hurricane, which sounds kind of sad, but you need the hurricane to be coming and salvage the bones for anything to happen. Otherwise, those characters will probably just be mired in poverty and loss. Um, so you need the, the hurricane to come in to actually disturb their lives even further, which is kind of sad. Um, right. And you wouldn't say Ash is necessarily culpable of her problem, I mean, she has slept with a guy, she didn't really understand love, she didn't really understand what was happening. Um, and so and so she gets pregnant, she's lost her mother of anyone that can actually guide her. And so basically she has to kind of mature through that experience of, of more loss um, mm-hmm. in order to be able to, to be mature enough to uh, raise the child at the end. And by the end, you would not say that they're stable, that family is not stable by the end. No. Um, I also think about um, Hell of a Book by Jason Mott, which is the book that we're looking at in the incubator right now. You've got the very first scene we see the main character. He's running naked down the hallway. Um, he's running away from a guy who's, um, whose wife he's just slept in, with. Um, now, that's an unstable character. Right. There's and something it, going on. It's like, an Brothers song. <laughs> yeah, that's think, yeah unstable absolutely yes you're right um and so, so we're just welcomed in because of this instability yes yeah 
I mean, it's it's intriguing. But something right? is going to have to knock them off. Yeah, yeah. you know, and it, it, on an, another aspect of it, uh, yeah, stories are trouble, right? You know, all happy families are alike. All unhappy families are unhappy in their own way. Uh, nobody really wants to read about happiness for whatever reason that is. You know, I mean, we love it, want to live it, but do you want to read about it? And and so instability, trouble, issues things not being quite right that's what pulls us in and it's what's needed for the to ha- for this uh character the protagonist to have any kind of battle to to overcome like what are they going to fight against if there's no nothing unstable if something if they're perfect and something comes in and happens outside of them that doesn't really affect them on a deeper level that if it's not an emotional yeah. instability then it really doesn't matter it's like uh what do you call it like a thriller um a bad thriller yeah a, a bad thriller because 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 uh, my i read a lot of crime novels and thrillers and 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 a lot of them are very um perceptive in in character driven yeah, storylines for sure, lines. For sure. Uh, like um, Chandler, yeah. you know philip marlowe is the wounded knight right i mean he's he's the world is so tainted that he can barely hold on to have any faith. He's super cynical. And then he always meets that woman who comes in, right? The femme fatale. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, is it going to be love? Is he going to be redeemed? And she's at the heart of it all usually, right? Or she's she's yes. almost as bad as everyone else. I mean, so, yeah, so the de- that's right. The detective, usually the case has to have something. It's going to take them back to their own issues, the uh, dead sister uh you know it's whatever it's partner, going to, it's right? going to, yeah it's going to echo that right. um and this is important too because okay you need something strong enough to push the person off their seesaw because otherwise they're going to cling to it because they've been on it for years and so i've sometimes have writers who say they're at work they're sitting at their office and they look up and they look out the window and they see a leaf on the tree and they're like I'm going to change my life. <laughs> I'm going to quit my job. And you're you know, like, that happened to me yesterday. I saw that happened. You're looking. And, and did I you said, quit your life? I I, did you change your life? Did you quit yard. your job? Uh, I'm going to rake the yard. Look, uh, Michelle, I don't know if you saw, there's a question in the chat. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Is, is Halden writing about his brother, Ali, uh, considered a good way to include backstory? Yeah. I mean, that it, it works. And in the book, it's a little on the nose, but it works. It doesn't, yeah. I mean, at least I, I think it works. I don't know what you think, Michelle. I, I, it doesn't feel artificial when you read it that he could be writing about, because he doesn't recognize it as his wound, right? right. He recognizes it. Uh, to him, he's just writing about, this like he has to come up with something to write. I was like, okay, I'll write about the mitt. I always like that baseball mitt with the poems on it. And he, in 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 his way, which is part of his issue, is very dismissive of it. You know, oh, that was the night my my brother died. You know, it was a stupid thing to do, hit, punch out the windows in that car. I realize that anyway. Which is like Halden's constant segue. Anyway. Like that doesn't matter. Let's move on. Let's avoid the issue. Let's avoid the instability underneath. I want to. I want to keep that away from myself. So, yeah. I. I mean. I think it's a good way to include backstory. Um. And, and Susan 
talks about that more. Can you say more about backstory impacting the characters emotionally? Do you parse this into the story in bits and pieces? How do you decide when to incorporate this backstory? So again, I feel like the whatever you're throwing at the current character in the present day, it is problematic for them because it hits some sore spot that they already have um, and is going to probably force them to revisit that. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, and this is why your character has to match um, the event that you're writing about, because one character, they might have an annoying boss that constantly is staring at their ass or whatever. And that's not going to, it's not going to bother them. They don't care. Right. But somebody else, that boss's actions will deeply, deeply bother them to the point of undermining them. And oftentimes it's because of what they're bringing to the situation as well. I mean, the boss is mm -hmm. bad as well, but yeah. it's what they're bringing to the situation. So whatever happens in the current story is going to wake up those, like, I think you spoke of it as ghosts or uh, wake up those demons yeah. Um, yeah. that the person has to deal with. I think um, but where oh, do you reveal those demons then? Go ahead. Oh, Go I was ahead. just going to say Susan's question about where um, to include that backstory. I think it's a good question because Again, to think about uh, what you pawn, I, I will redeem the Sherman Alexi story. Uh, like so many stories, you have to establish the right. unstable right. ground in the beginning. You have to have some backstory. And yet, often as the story goes forward, you do get bits and pieces of more backstory. In fact, getting closer to the real source of the wound. Like in that story, his grandmother grandmother's story is thread throughout. And that's what he keeps getting back to because obviously he's trying to get her regalia. He's trying to get back to her and the, and the culture that she is the link to. And, but it's not all there right up front. There's enough up front to establish this is his issue. This is where he is. This is, you know, why he's not, why he's wounded. And, and this is how he's wounded. And yet as, as the story goes along, just like in those, you know, Raymond Chandler stories, the, the, you get closer and closer to the, to the heart of it. And that's really kind of what leads to the, uh, the climax and, and resolution confronting finally the deepest level of the wound of the, of confronting the instability and doing something about it. Yeah, because yeah. I see it, you know, it's all like a, a slow, a, a, a slow build, but it, so in a sense, yeah, backstory is thrill. I mean, you don't get a flashback until late in a novel. A lot of times you don't open with a flashback. That right. would be backstory right up front, you know? Right. And it's part of the mystery. Like what is going on with this person? What is wrong with this person? So in hell of a book yeah. with Jason Mott, um, you know, that something is wrong. You know, that he's avoiding basically himself just in his behavior and you really don't understand more deeply what is happening with him into much much further so like several like a good 100 150 pages into the book um right. so allowing that mystery to be there instead of feeling like oh i've got to answer it right away or right? oh i've got to explain it right away um because then you might actually be cutting off mystery yeah um, i think of every story in a sense as a mystery like, yes, you know, like like those detective novels, you know, who who did the killing, who 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 is guilty. But you know, every story in a sense is a mystery for us and for the the person at the heart of it. They're trying to figure things out. They're trying to make uh, 
figure out what what is making them so unstable or how to fix it if nothing else if they do know their wound i mean you know i think i know all my wounds and i would put those plural for me you know <laughs> my, my multiple levels of instability um you know do, do you do you i have yet to have that ordinary people moment in therapy where it's all like oh i get it and you move on Right. But that's a good thing to talk about because I think people in general, yeah, I could list wounds like, yeah, <laughs> have a whole weekend. Let's just keep talking. Um, oh, yeah. But but characters are oftentimes simplified because if there's too much backstory, if there's yeah. too many wounds, if it's too complex, yes, then we get admired in it. We don't know what to pay attention to. So oftentimes you do have to kind of simplify, okay, what's the, what's the issue that you want to deal with in this particular book? Yeah. Um, and, and, and forcing the character to deal with it right then. And then we also have a, a question in the chat. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between the unstable ground and figuring out when to start the story? So you are writing the story at that particular point in the character's life, because that's the point in the character's life that they're, they're going to be forced to face this one issue, this one wound, um, and so that's why and that's why you're timing it out that way. And the inciting, finding the inciting incident, um, the thing that so even in um, Hansel and Gretel, you have there's been a famine happening for a very long time in Hansel and Gretel years. The inciting incident in Hansel and Gretel is that the famine has just gotten worse, and it's that that's it. It's that simple. And it, that's what forces the stepmother to do what she has to do. Um, so you've had an unstable ground situation for a very long time, possibly for years. However, the inciting incident um, is the thing that is going to uh, bring the problem, make it much louder. It might be the thing that pushes the character off the seesaw. Um, so that they've got to figure out what to do. And then later you have a point of attack. If, the point of the attack and inciting incident are sometimes the same, and we're going to talk about that more with Ron McLean. Um, but something that throws the character off their seesaw, and then maybe the same event or a separate one that forces them forward into action in some way. Yeah. Um, and so where, where in the point in time is has everything has the famine and just gotten worse? I would I would search for that moment to figure out where to start the story. Yeah. And it's funny, like in short stories, sometimes the unstable ground is established so quickly. Yes. Like that story, the story of an hour, Kate Chopin, mm -hmm. you know, I think the first line is knowing that Mrs. Mallard was afflicted with a heart trouble. Great care was taken to break to her as gently as possible the news of her husband's death. And that's it. That's her unstable ground that everybody treats her with kid gloves. Everybody wants her to be demure and sedate and zombified that's yeah. wound and you know so it's all it's all there right up front and then the rest of it her husband dies and throws everything out of balance and lo and behold she's happy you know she doesn't yeah. know it at first but she's thrilled because and and she's thrilled because now she can act and be uh you know dynamic and and assertive so um, uh, and notice in that first sentence, you have the unstable ground situation and the inciting incident, the husband's death in a single right. sentence. Yeah, right. All very quick yeah. in, a, in that short story. I mean, a story of an hour, you know, and it's like a page long, a page yeah. and a half long. Yeah. So, and um, Julie's talking about 
Um, let's see, believability. The past few days you brought up the idea of believability. What about this unstable ground and believability? How do you make things believable and what could get in the way of that? I think it's about paying attention to your character. Mm-hmm. Like you could just, you could have a happy family that has a, f- a wonderful little farm somewhere and everyone's dancing around all rosy cheeked or whatever, and everything's going fine. And all of a sudden a UFO comes and bombs the hell out of them. Um, that's not going to be believable, nor is it going to be dramatically interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. So really learning your character and paying attention to your character, to the story that you bring to them. Have you dealt with that believability, Steve? Believability? Uh yeah, I mean, I guess the, the, the book I'm working on right now is a, a record collector who's a, a child of a Holocaust survivor and is channeling all of his issues of loss through collecting. And uh, believability, you know, would this hoarder basically uh, respond in that way? And can I can I make it? But I mean, yeah, I mean, hoarders, there are lots of hoarders. I don't know. I think most things can be made believable because the human nature is so crazy that all you have to do is really show that there is an emotional basis for it, that there is. uh, I'm trying to think what would be an unbelievable situation, though, when I guess with the it's not so much unbelievable that aliens could attack. I think it's unbelievable if people don't react in a way that seems human. Like, what's that story? Gabriel Garcia Marquez, the very old man, enormous wings, magical realism. It's realism because they react realistically in in the sense that the people who, who the whole town is trying to figure out who is this guy? You know, is he is he an angel? Is he evil? And their reactions are all uh, showing they don't get the heart of Christianity. They don't understand what an angel would be if it was fell in their backyard, that they would treat it horribly. Right. But, and but Catherine's it, asking the name of the story. I think it's the old man with enormous wings, right? A, Is a it very, the old man old or man just with, very, very old man with enormous wings. Yeah. Yeah. And so notice you're not just introducing some crazy thing and then having the having the characters run around and be scared or whatever his introduction wakes up something very, very particular, individual and emotional um, about each of the characters past, um, their belief system. So, so believability is about tying whatever outside event that you are throwing at your character to who that character is very deeply. Um, and it might take a while to figure that out. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, no, and, and I think that's what the unstable ground situation is doing. Like, how does this relate to them? And why should we believe that this is uh, something of importance to their lives that, that that they that the story will matter? I guess in that sense yes. of believability, that this is a story that matters that a, a guy with wings landed in their backyard. Um, you know, at the beginning of that story, we learned that they're poor, the couple whose yard the, the old man falls into. They're poor, their child is sick, they're um, beset by natural phenomenon. You know, the sea is, uh, the, the, all these dead animals are washing up from the sea. It's like a curse on them. And then bam, here comes this inciting incident of this guy with, with wings. What do they do about it? Yeah. You know, how are they gonna react? And that's really what draws us through the story because are they gonna screw this up? I mean, we sense, 
anybody with wings lands in your yard, I would say probably an angel, even if he's old and decrepit and has lice. Well, he smells. Yeah. I mean, so we know that something rotten is in Denver. Yeah. It's like Um, the Samaritan story. Like if they treat him well, then they'll be blessed. So um, that's the test for them. Um, And one more, we can only do, I'm just going to answer this very quickly because Elizabeth is touching on one thing and then we're going to have to go, but can the inciting incident be an introduction of a new character that inspires the character to behave differently? Or does the inciting incident have to be something negative, something getting worse? It doesn't have to be something negative. Um, It can just be a change. And the, but the thing is it might feel negative to the character because the character doesn't want to deal with their wounds and the fact that something's wrong with their life. Um, so in that way, um, I think, what was it? The film Jacob's Ladder in which angels are trying to convince the character that he's died and they, and they want to carry him forward into his, his next life. Well, he sees them as demons trying to tear his, wife away, his life away from him. Um, and it's just a beautiful film because they're actually trying to help him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just doesn't want to face it. He doesn't want to face um, himself and what has actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and the characters, yes, don't usually know what their own wounds are. Yeah, and, and they're completely, they've, they've shut that out. They've completely repressed that. Excellent. All right, we're going to have to go. Thank you so much, Steve, for carrying yeah. the day. We'll have to have Rosie on for another, another time because seriously, she was about to say something completely brilliant right. and then we lost her. She was stuck in some fancy hotel somewhere and she said she had bad Wi-Fi. But um, tomorrow we're talking about the stories inciting incidents. So we're going to keep, um, we're going to keep touching on that. Um, idea and expanding it. And we're going to have Rebecca Rowland and Davy Snively. Davy Snively, who's also, um, she's a screenwriter as well as a novelist. Uh, and Rebecca actually works in, in nonfiction and, and, and fiction. So I think we're going to be able to touch on this from different angles. Um, if you support what we're doing, please share, follow, and even rate the 7 a.m. Uh, novelist podcast. You can find it on Substack and other podcast platforms. And you can find the full schedule of what we're doing at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can also join the community there and join the discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you, Steve. Beans is an old writing friend of of mine. So I love seeing him early in the morning. All right, everybody, get to your desk, get some good writing work done, and we will see you all tomorrow. What you lost, have you lost what you found? Do you really understand how you sift for a love in the sand? Like a leaf inside the wind, and you go where it tells you to go. But you never wonder why there is nothing here at all.